When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw here on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Brentford 1, Liverpool 4 in the Premier League from the G-Tech Community Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Um, a weird afternoon, Dave, which has us... Um, somewhat muted in our celebrations which should be absolutely glorious seeing the Reds um, that amount of, of points clear regardless of games in hand or any of that other nonsense um, a brilliant win eked out in difficult circumstances but the darkness that looms in the background is that uh, injury cloud it looks as if both of the ones that we're really worried about were pretty serious especially Jota's and now we have a little bit of angst about Darwin not coming out for the second half so it's 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 an odd afternoon I don't know how to feel I, I, part of me is giddy part of me is 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 understandably a bit uh, flattened by that yeah very much so I mean to go to Brentford where we haven't won either of the last two years where we've been fairly heavily battered both years I mean 3-3 the first year they were up but if you go and watch that game back they absolutely knocked us round the place and then last year they tore us asunder at their place so this was a, a tough game even with them having not the best of seasons um, for, for one reason or another so it was a game that we went into sort of a little bit nervous of you know needing the win because City have Chelsea at home today which is a favourable fixture and Arsenal go to Burnley which is also favourable and given the tightness of the goal difference, we could easily have come out of today in third if we hadn't won. But we've gone there. We've put on, I think, a really good performance bar the first kind of 15, 20 minutes where it just took us time to get it, get going. We've come away with a heavy win, 4-1. It, it could have been more. Now, we'll get into it. There was probably a penalty for them that should have been given. 
But likewise, yeah. there was a penalty for us that should have been given. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 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 Jones one, you'd hope he's just jarred his ankle and it's nothing too serious. And it's maybe one of those that, you know, with a couple of days of rest, it, it, the swelling will come down and it'll be OK. The Jota one looks serious, um, especially when you see the replay and you see Norgard land on him. And it could have been, it could have been anything of three things. I was looking at it and as a guy who's had his uh, Achilles snap completely, I was wondering at the uh, um, compression of that was it, it, sometimes compression could be as bad as extension for those things. Mm. Uh, then there was the knee, and then there was the ankle. So the whole thing looked fucking horrendous. I think they've la- they, they've sort nasty. of they've landed on a knee injury, have they? Or does anybody know anything? Well, when he stood up, it looked like his left knee had swollen pretty much instantaneously. Um, and a few yeah. people have said that's potentially a marker of an ACL, but we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves and we shouldn't try and diagnose anything because none of us are experts in the field, though we've all, especially myself and yourself, Trev, as, as uh, embattled old men, we've had our share of <laughs> fairly bad injuries. Yeah. You would hope that it's, you know, if it is ligaments, you'd hope it's like the lateral ligament or something less severe than an ACL. Um, I'm, I'm sure Brundish and a few others will have have opinions on it, given that they'd be more in tune with what it could be. But the fact that they stretched him off and didn't want him walking off, that doesn't seem like a great sign. With the Darwin one, the hope here is that the plan from the outset was Darwin's only got about 60 in him. We're going to play him for 60. Because obviously he's just back. He's had that foot issue that he's yeah. been dealing with for a little while. So the hope would be here that they knew Darwin was only going to play about 60 because of the two injuries in the first half. They've just brought his substitution forward and they've taken a bit of a gamble on let's take him off early, get Gakpo on. And that still leaves us with one sub slot where yeah. we can make another two changes later. Fingers crossed. That's the issue there. Fingers crossed the Jones one isn't too serious. I mean, he did try to come back on and maybe he could have run it off. So it might just have been that they don't want to take any risks because obviously Curtis has had a number of injuries over the last few years and he's been very unfortunate with them. Hopefully this is just, you know, a jarring of the ankle and it's nothing too serious. The Jota one is the one I think to be concerned about. It really didn't look good. Um, TNT had pictures, um, video footage of the tunnel, which appeared to show Jota uh, walking uh, slightly aided alongside somebody, <clears throat> which is a bit weird considering he was he was stretchered off. So, yeah, look, we're, as you say, no diagnosis here. Um, we won't even sort of um, catastrophize either because nobody knows anything um, is the short version of this until we are officially told stuff. But the thing is, Harry, um People often talk about uh, this uh, mythical notion of character. Um, and, you know, the one thing that has been very much a feature of Klopp era Liverpool is that uh, squad togetherness, the ability to fight back from um, being behind, the ability to withstand pressure, despite the fact that the odds against us are quite overwhelming uh, at times. Um, and this is a real kind of a statement victory, regardless of what way you slice it. Um, and to be finished at this stage on a Saturday. And as Dave said, yes, you fully expect the title rivals to go and do their thing, but they're still going to be looking up at us. And that's wonderful. Absolutely. I think 
so often on this podcast we come on and like talk through the Liverpool lens because you know we're so you know deeply focused on everything that's going on in the club. But uh, as you'll know, Trev, a, a couple of games ago was a very painful day for me um, and my uh, well, not for my family, but it's a painful day for me to deal with it in North London. Um, yeah, and, I, I, uh, I told a few often, Harry, on that day. I just yeah. it's, a, it's a dark day for this for for, for young Sethi. It was struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it particularly it was tough for everybody, but particularly tough for for me. Um, however, uh, I, I'm going to start the pod by just sort of talking a little bit about how great it was. Uh, we should remind ourselves as well, as you say, get the win out of out of the way nice and early, five point lead at the top of the of the league. Uh, just great to see um, a few takes from uh, some of the Arsenal faithful, some of the City faithful, uh, hoping for a, a slip up, you know, thinking this is the game where Liverpool are going to, you know, maybe perhaps, uh, you know, uh, suffer from all these injuries. Uh, just seeing the frustration at full time, really good, really um, lots of uh, discussion about how just, uh, you know, of course, Liverpool weren't very good. It was just Brentford being atrocious, nothing to do with Liverpool mm. um, overcoming adversity, of course. So, yeah, you just got to, you, you got to drink that in um it's the, it's the special stuff um so yeah I, I i i think um this is always the best place to be it does a weekend fixtures you know the early kickoff 100 percent record in these early kickoffs at the moment which is remarkable and yeah clouded by the injuries as dave mentions there and i i think i agree with him on the the severity of them as well it looks i'm hoping jones is just a sore one that he couldn't play through in the moment and darwin is just a precaution because Klopp was starting to have an existential uh crisis when somebody went in on bradley a few seconds after <laughs> jota was stretched off the pitch but unfortunately yeah. i the jota one does look does look bad and yeah you, you hope for the best of course but um yeah i i as i said when he went off actually that been in tremendous form, been been really excellent for us, and it's, it would be a huge loss for him to be out for an extended period. But when you're bringing on the you know the league's best player to replace him, uh, and then he reminds you just of the you know the just just how he is pure world class, uh, one of the greatest th- this league has seen uh, in the space of about 20 30 minutes, uh, and could have had another to be honest. Um, just, just, just reminds you of what a huge boost that is on the other side of things to have him, have him back, have him fit and firing. Uh, I'm choosing to lean into that positive, and and, and then also I thought uh, um, Endo performed really well on the day. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about him, but another one of the subs who came on for Jones, I was a bit concerned uh, with with Grav coming on. Just because he, he, of all the signings we've made, he's the one who's taken the longest to to settle. But I thought that was one of the more encouraging performances we've seen from him. The uh, big shoes to fill in terms of mm. what Jones provides us with. And I thought Grav actually uh, ends up there getting the hugs from Jurgen. Big smile. Uh, seemed like he's you know he'd he'd proved a point there. So hopefully he can do that again and again. So. Yeah, top of the league. Nice view from here. Uh, you can see the anxieties of the others. You do expect them to win, but you never know. Now we're in the position where we can just sit and watch. I'm glad you went there with the Gravenberg thing early on because you know mm. um, we we're we're in a, an unfortunate position here quite often that we get labelled as being pro or anti certain players because we're reacting to the game as it happened as opposed to the game through the lens or framework that you want to view it, uh, having had a bit of time to go away and uh, you know sort of organise your um, prejudices, um, sure. positivities, negative views, etc. Uh, and Gravenberg 
Rosenberg's come in for a lot of stick and deservedly so for um, ineffective performances. But delighted to see something approximating what we would hope to be seeing from him um, in a difficult situation. For sure. And yet the other great joy from a very personal point of view here, of course, for us raw reprobates is that we will be finished our work very soon. And the rest of the weekend is just absolute gravy. (laughs) So I look forward to that very much so. And Harry, let me stay with you um, to talk about how we went in terms of the Liverpool lineup. And I'll go and speak to Dave briefly about Brentford after getting a quick word from you on them as well. But we'll just take the Liverpool thing. It doesn't require a huge amount of discussion, I don't think. But you may disagree. Um, he went with Kelleher because he had no choice. Connor Bradley came in. I think most people expected to see Joe Gomez there, if for no other reason than the difficulties that Connors had to face. But, you know, it was always going to be a call of what was best for him, I think. It is tough on Joe to be out of the, out of the team, though. And, um, I heard, I think it was during one of the Daily Reds, Dave say, look, if Robbo's fit, he's going to play, whether uh, we agree with that or not, ahead of Joe Gomez. And that's exactly what happened. I, if I'm Joe and I'm sitting on the bench, I'm, I'm a little bit pissed. Uh, I'll be honest with you on the back of, of what he's done for us in difficult times but anyway it was Connor great to see him back all I wanted from him was that he would have a good solid performance so he could feel that confidence he went on and absolutely put that in um, the rest of the team fairly straightforward I would have thought in terms of selection he went with um, Ibu and, and Virgil obviously uh, it was Mac, Endo and Curtis which I think all of us think is the currently the best uh, trio available to us uh, Jota, Nunes and Diaz which again I think is probably what all of us think is the best trio available if you're not going to immediately start Mo Salah back into the action our bench looked lovely and solid on the back of some returning players and on the back of some of those decisions I've just mentioned Joe Gomez is there as is Mo Salah we've just mentioned both of those Gakpo is there and Elliot is there and Simicus is there Gravenberg is there Kwanzaa is there and as is McConnell and you know as you're watching the game you're thinking Jesus Christ if these injuries keep continuing you might see McConnell start and I actually thought you know the way Jurgen's going you might give that kid a go um, ahead of someone like Gravenberg uh, in a game if we were down to the bare bones so again a very solid bench when even the kid that you're looking at the nominal kid on it is a fellow who has acquitted himself well that's encouraging at least despite the fact that we've lost two people from that mm. over, overall rotation Harry yeah we've seen you know, of course a number of young players come in and yeah acquit themselves really really well uh, Bradley's one of those I think you see just I, I can't remember anything underwhelming about any aspect of his performances since he's come in uh, technically looks like a real real foot, footballing talent uh, is there you can see the tenacity in his game as well um, has the creativity has the attacking instincts as well um, perhaps not of course the of the footballing talent that we know Trent, uh, Trent is but uh, I, I I do feel secure with him in the team as well I think he's um he's a he's a solid defender it looks like and knows when to be composed uh, in in difficult circumstances when to keep it simple um, and is a tidy passer which is you know, not stuff you always associate with with young players thrust into uh, the Premier League so yeah was was happy to see him there if he was comfortable with doing that it was always going to be his decision like you said given what he's been through with the loss of his loss of his father but 
Uh, Robbo, Van Dijk, Canate seemed seemed okay to me. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Gomez get plenty of games still. Um, I don't expect Bradley to be week in week out here from um, from now on actually, but I think you, you need to be you need to be cautious with him and um, perhaps Gomez makes more sense for some of the bigger clashes. Perhaps City would be interesting to see what happens there. But if he keeps impressing, who knows? And Mac, Endo, Jones, I think you've. You've proven it there that, that that is the best three that we had in terms of how they complement each other at the moment. Those of whom were were fit, just seen uh, just a point on Klopp. He said uh, mixed emotions because we lost players and we don't know how serious it is. It doesn't look great for either of them, Jota and Jones. Um, Klopp says he's not sure. If, and Nunes looks like it could potentially be some uh, just a precautionary thing. So that's one one silver lining. But yeah, the, the midfielders picked themselves given who was available. Uh, but you know, as we see people like Gravenberg come on and put in a performance like that. Yeah, and, and and put in a performance closer to the standard that we expect of a midfielder that's going to be starting for for Liverpool. Uh, you know, hopefully, that means that you know, that that three, which is not going to be the three, uh, if we if, if we believe this Jones injury is a bit more serious than we hope, um, that it's not the big drop off that we've we've seen at, at points this season. And the front three, yeah, with, with being cautious with Salah, I was I was for that to be honest. I, given the recent uh, setbacks we've seen from players who may or may or may not have been rushed back a little bit uh, prematurely from from injury layoffs. Uh, that guy is the one you don't want to be taking any risks with at all because the longer you can keep him on the pitch, uh, the better chance he's got of winning you every game that he he, he plays in. So, yeah, Jota has been outstanding this season. We come on to talk about the his performance before he he sadly was taken off and. Nunez and Diaz, I think you're seeing the uh, Diaz climb back from from where he was at one stage this season to having more impact on games. If stop, if if not, perhaps still at his best. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's many surprises there, Trevor. And the strength of the bench, I think, just points to you as well that even with the the, the players we've lost through injury, the the the, the work we did to sort of bolster the squad and some of the emergencies of the young players like Kwanzaa as well. Um, means that we we don't look too thin. Yeah, it it's it is heartening in a in a, a a time when you feel like you should be shouting at the sky about our misfortune, um, and maybe that will pan out to be the case, but. Also, maybe there's just enough there to keep us going through this difficult period while we await the return of Trent and Dom and Ali. Players that I don't think either of our title rivals could lose the equivalent of and not be impacted. So. Look, it's an interesting one. And just quickly on Brentford, before I go to Dave to talk about them um, in your uh, rivalry conjure in the week, was there uh, that uh, element of sort of giddy excitement about playing Liverpool against whom they have an excellent record, especially at their place? Um, And did you see any shockers in that particular lineup? Obviously, they have some issues with people out and um, injured and stuff like that as well. Yeah, no, I think the lineup was pretty much what I was expecting, given some of the the absences that they've got. That's the, the, that's really the the team they've been going with largely, um, especially since Tony's return as well. Moving back to that three five two, um, I think he's you know interesting character that we spoke about on the pod quite a lot in terms of you know the talent is clear to see the footballing arrogance. You you never mind that, but um, we spoke a little bit about some of the some of the slightly like disrespectful 
comments from him around i mean just almost almost playing coy about the fact that he's you know, quite clearly deciding not to sign a new contract because he wants to wants to move probably at the end of the season um but yet trying to suggest that the manager uh was you know the one who was um, intimating that he didn't want him and, and so on and so forth all these interviews you've seen from him there's uh, i think it's left a bit of a bad taste in the the mouths of uh, brentford fans who you know, from their perspective, you know, they've been without him for six months because of his own actions, and so for him to come back and do that a little bit, I think, has uh, yeah wound them up somewhat. Uh, but yeah, we we know that his quality is is what it is. Uh, the, the pod was it was I think it was fairly fairly downbeat. It's been a tough uh, you know season for them with the, with the number of injuries that they've had. They've not been the Brentford that we've seen previously. Uh, conceded lots of the first goal lots and lots and lots um and also not come back after they've conceded the first goal and conceded goals late as well so lots of bad stats that you don't want to be associated with you that weren't uh, associated with Brentford before this season so I think it was a little bit downbeat and then I think actually throughout the party persuaded himself my guess that you know, maybe it would be a difficult uh, afternoon for, for Liverpool <laughs> in the end I, I think by the end they just didn't didn't have enough to sustain the intensity whilst I thought you know in points that some of the counters were quite neat and tidy so yeah no no real surprises from them given some of the absences they're dealing with as well yeah, which, which we will absolutely take, um, and and uh, any misfortune suffered by other teams is uh, readily readily welcomed by me. Uh, I have to say, and it's interesting, uh, Dave, to hear Harry talk about Ivan Tony. I've just checked his age there; he's going to turn twenty eight in a few weeks' time. Mm. Um, that means that if he wants to fucking agitate for any sort of a move at all, I, I fully back the lad uh, in terms of it's a very short career. He does end up perhaps then coming off as a, not a great fella. But, you know, at that stage, really, do you give a shit like how you come off when you've got like a very finite period of time left to play at the top level? So just to talk to you briefly about um, Brentford and how they went, We'll just mention their lineup and you can take it wherever you want after that. Um, their 11 that started was Flecken, Collins, Ayer, Me, Rorslev, Jensen, uh, Norgard, Janelt, Regulon, Tony, and Mope. Some very, very good footballers there. And on the bench, they had Godosan and Yeke, who all, who came on. Lewis Potter came on. Damsgaard came on. They had Yarmuluk and Baptiste on there as well as Strakosha. Um, oh, and Vissa, who also came on. So there's uh, quite a few decent footballers knocking in around that club, especially when you factor in the people who, have, who uh, are not available for them today. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're missing both starting wing-backs, Enrico Henry and um, Aaron Hickey. They're missing Kevin Shade, who'd be an option for them in attack. They're missing Brian and Bomo, who would be the first-choice partner for Ivan Tony. So, you know, three starters and a couple of other squad players. Ethan Pinnock not there today either. So they are missing some players, but, like, it's still a good team. Now, personally, looking at their back three, I don't really understand the logic in playing Nathan Collins on the right of the three and Ayer in the middle. I think you'd be much better off if you swap the two of them. But all three of those centre-backs are, are pretty decent. The keeper is decent. Regulon, we know, is a good player. Roarslev, I'm not a fan of. But I do really like that midfield three. Jensen, Norgard and Janot. It reminds me a lot of our old midfield three in, in how they play. Norgard is sort of that Fabinho type of sitting midfielder. Shields the defence, breaks up play. 
does all the simple things really well and, and can play a bit. Yanolt is sort of their version of Ginny, blocks off passing lanes, fills the gap, sits in next to Norgard, has a decent range of passing. He's a good player. And I, I really do like Jensen. I think he's technically a very good player. Didn't have much mm. involvement today because we were able to to get a, a strong foothold in the game, but takes a great set piece. He's a clever passer of the ball. He plays the sort of more attack-minded, right-sided role that we've always had as well. So, like, the midfield is, is good. It's balanced. Tony is outstanding. Like, he is an outstanding player. And you're right. I mean, at 28, you can't blame the lad for wanting to go and do bigger things. I mean, you have to remember, he was 25 before he got to play in the Premier League. He moved to Newcastle at 19 from Northampton, had a bunch of loans. Two never really gave him any kind of real opportunity. So he kind of lost three years of his career, bouncing about on loans, went to Peterborough, had two great years there, joined Brentford. And it's been, other than obviously this season because of the ban, it's been incredibly uh, positive for all parties, that move. Broke the, at the time, broke the championship record for goals to help them get promoted. And he's been tremendous since they came up. He's one of the few strikers that, you know, can get double figures goals, double figures assists. He, he's a, a really good all-round player. I think a top club should move for him. If I was Spurs, I'd be trying to figure out, can I, can I afford to get him in? Because mm. I'm still missing Harry Kane. And while he's not Harry Kane, he's the be- best approximation that you're going to find at anything less than probably 70, 80 million. He's got one year left on his contract. There's there's little to no chance he's going to um, he's going to renew. So in all likelihood, he is leaving at the end of this year, and he he's going to go and and improve a team somewhere. Like he he is the type that you could put put into most teams in the Premier League, and he would improve them. I think he'd improve Arsenal. I think he'd improve Spurs. I think he'd improve Villa. Um, and us. I yeah yeah. I mean you you stuck him in as the nine and shifted Darwin to the left. Yeah, I think he'd be a really good fit, you know. And you and you look down to the league. Chelsea need a striker. He'd fit well there. Obviously, he's out of West Ham's price range, but he'd fit well there. Um, he'd improve United, even with with the upturn in form of Hoysland. Ivan Tony's just a better player right now, and he'd be more suited to playing with Rashford and and Garnacho. But like the point is, Brentford have in their in their ranks a player who all of the top clubs, bar probably City are casting an eye on and thinking I wonder I wonder could we could we swing that deal at a price point that's going to be clever for us because of his age like there's no resale value in buying Ivan Tony but if you're on the brink of doing something like if you're if you feel like you're one player away from winning the title or being a, a team that could win cups like Spurs or Villa then he would make a lot of sense for you I like this team I do and I like Thomas Frank I don't like Thomas Frank as a potential manager for us. I know his name has been floated. I think he'd be on your long list of guys you'd give some consideration to because he's done a tremendous job there. And like they are very well set up. They're very well drilled. They're organized. They all know their roles individually and collectively. Those players have all bought in entirely to what Thomas Frank is selling them. He, he clearly is a good man manager. He's clearly got a good tactical head in his shoulders is like I said, he, he, pre- he preps really well for games. He knows 
where certain weak points in teams are and oftentimes it's just a lack of individual quality that that holds Brentford back but I do like them. I like I like how they run. Now, me and Carl went over it yesterday. I think a lot of their transfer business since they came up into the division has been spotty. You look at, like, Tony was there in the championship. The midfield was all there in the championship. Mope was with them in the championship. They have him back on loan. Ben Mee was a free. Ayer and Collins have been decent, but Ayer's had a lot of injuries most of their best players, like Rico Henry, was there in the championship. But since they've come up, it just feels like their business has been hit and miss. Like Damsgaard hasn't hit. Lewis Potter hasn't hit. You know, like that's a lot of money spent for a club like Brentford on players that really haven't made the desired impact. Even Bomo was there in the championship as well, you know. So it's been a bit spotty. And I think it's credit to this manager that he's been able to hold them together and keep them out of relegation battles. I know, you know, this season they're not having the best of years, but they're still six points clear of the Ev with the and same put- number of games played now. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. That's a fair point. And to put something just into, to swing it back, a Liverpool word a little bit. I did see what I I took to be a pretty much blanket dismissal of the concept of this guy as a potential Liverpool uh, manager uh, in the upcoming um circus that will be how we get a go about replacing Jurgen. Uh, I, I pretty much I, I, I guessed from your tweet that it was like that'll be a hard no. Yeah, I mean like you definitely you'd be putting together a long list, you know, of twenty five names and you'd give them all due consideration. It's just that some like say Ruben Amram or Zinedine Zidane or Xabi Alonso uh, or my best friend and yours, Diego Simeone, like they would be worth a lot more consideration than Thomas Frank. But you still would give Frank a look. My feeling with Thomas Frank, though, is the move for him if he wants to leave Brentford is more like a West Ham, like go up one level as opposed to trying to go up three levels. Because it's a significant jump from from a club like Brentford, with due respect, who finished ninth last year, and that was massively outperforming expectations to a club like Liverpool, where the goal every single year has to be silverware. So if Thomas Frank is to leave Brentford, and I do believe he's you know worthy of a bigger stage, I think West Ham would be the, the right job for him. Or if they ever got their shit together, a club like Everton, who are a big club with a big fan base and you know moving into a new stadium that will have good revenue streams, that type of job would suit him. Or even Villa, you know, 
assuming they don't make the next leap. Those type of jobs, I think, would be more suited to him than jumping to Liverpool. But you have to give huge credit for the work that he's done at Brentford. I mean, they were sort of a an afterthought. Nobody ever looked at Brentford in 2018 and thought, oh, yeah, like they're they're going to be in the Premier League and they're going to be a formidable outfit in a couple of years. They were just sort of a team that had drifted between the divisions. They were a little bit interesting because they had the the Matthew Benham ownership. They were going the data-driven route in terms of recruitment. They were doing strange things like binning off the B team or like a, an academy and, and not bothering developing their own players but looking to bring in value from elsewhere. But you never looked at them and thought, yeah, this is a team that's going to be in the Premier League in a couple of years. And he got them there. And not only that, he, he's kept them there very comfortably, in truth. Like the first year, they, they had a bit of a sketchy sort of three-month run after a good start. But once they settled in and found themselves and found an identity in the league, they stayed up quite comfortably. Last year, they were great. And this year, even with all the injuries and the Tony suspension and all of that and, and transfers not not clicking the way they'd hoped, they're still going to stay up comfortably. Yeah, yeah, and for really any club to come up and survive three years in this division, which is a killer, like this is a killer of a division for newly promoted teams. You you don't see many come up and sit comfortably for three years unless they've been up and gone down and are coming back up with a Premier League ready team and Premier League resources already in place. You just don't mm. see it, and and it. I think massive credit has to go to him because he's the one kind of driving the train on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. The return of Ref Watch is a must call for today. Um, I want you to come on an imaginary journey with me here now, listeners. I want you to picture 38 year old Michael Oliver. You see him there. He's like uh, the absolutely stereotypical cop recruit. That's what he looks like. He's standing there. He's got his little knee length shorts on and he's got uh Something protruding from the back pocket of the shorts. Oh, it's his wallet. He's taking his wallet out now. As he looks at his wallet, there's a shiny circle through the leather. Um, because inside there, you see, is Old Faithful. That's the condom that he's had since 2005. But it doesn't matter because he's going on his holly bobs. That's what he calls them, you see, holly bobs. And he's going on his holly bobs to, as Dave Hendrick told me, his ma's. Because that's his favorite place to go for holidays. Mm. The best part about holidays in his mouth is the food. She does a lovely sandwich, which Michael eats with a knife and fork. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Oliver. What is it? This is the guy. This is the guy who we were told for years was the heir apparent. He was going to be mm. just the next big thing. He was, you know, see that baldy lad, put him put him in the in the halfpenny place, that, that foreign lad, Michael Oliver's the up-and-comer. Is it just me, Harry, or did he make so many dubious calls today? And actually, some of them for Liverpool, let's be honest, at least one or two, uh, that, that he, he's just, is there any, is there any good referee? How does someone go from being so highly vaunted to being so run of the mill and just another one in a long list of subpar professionals? Yeah, I don't know about his fall off, but uh, I, I, in in terms of what I saw today, I just I mean, we we talk at times about some of the weird stuff that creeps into refereeing, despite 
I guess them being reminded about it every single season. Like for example, this like that weird five to six minute period at the start of games where no player can get sent off for any bad tackle because you know you're just seeing how the game starts to develop. It'd be wrong to do that. And you know, even though it's completely fine if somebody does a, a tackle worthy of a red card in the first five minutes, they should be sent off. You rarely see that. Uh, you see people refereeing context sometimes as well in how they referee games rather than actually just judging the incidents on what they are, uh, what they've been able to see. And I thought today was a good example of, you think about how certain teams want to play, especially how an injury hit Brentford want to play in this kind of game, you know, disrupted uh, game, lots of different uh, breaks here and there, free kicks, set pieces where they can get a chance, 50-50s, they want them to go their way, get these free kicks they can use to you know, to cause problems. And I thought in terms of what they would have wanted, yes, there were a few odd ones. And as Dave mentions, perhaps we got lucky with the, uh, avoiding a penalty at one stage. But I thought the vast majority there was a, is a case of a referee giving all of these decisions when it came to 50-50 challenges uh, their way and actually enabling them to play the sort of game they probably wanted to uh, be able to play uh, and disrupting um, the kind of game Liverpool wanted to play. So the fact that uh, Liverpool run out the uh, 4-1 winners could have been more, I, I think just just goes to show sort of the quality of the, of the performance. But I, I, I think Dave's got the stats on the number of fouls that we actually uh, conceded apparently, um, despite having huge chunks of the ball. Yeah, we had yeah. we had sixty three percent of the ball and somehow committed eighteen fouls. Right. They, they had thirty seven percent of the ball and only conceded four fouls, mm. and yet were able to boot our players up in the air at regular intervals. Now, my um, good friend Stu tells me that Michael Oliver uh, doesn't like ketchup; he believes it's too spicy. I see. Rory yes. Greenfield is of the opinion that Michael Oliver doesn't have a middle name oh, because not. middle names are exotic. And his parents wouldn't be into that type of stuff. Now, Trev, you'll know that in this country that we live in, there is a um, there is a, a collective, a parcel of people from a certain part of the country that rock around with two surnames. They don't have a first name. Their first name is something like Campbell. They have two surnames, and that's just how they move. Well, Michael Oliver's parents believe that surnames are for peasants, which is why his name is Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael That's Oliver's cool. favourite rock band is Justin Bieber, and <laughs> he is unquestionably a terrible set of lads. It's it's remarkable, and I sorry, but every one of those little digs has been well and truly earned. It's not just on the back of today. No, it's it, years. It, of it's this. years of this nonsense, especially when we are told repeatedly about what a f- wonderful referee he is, and that's that's the only thing that's what sticks in my craw more, more than anything else. If he was just one of the same potato-faced pudgy yokes that plod around in two tight black tops in the Premier League embarrassing themselves and if that's body shaming I don't give a shit you're supposed to be a professional keeping up with, with professionals if he was one of those fine but we're not we're told he's not one of those you see he is an absolute Diane of the profession mm. except he ain't and it's just it's it's kind of it's demoralizing 
that we have a situation. Wasn't that the last time out we had a lad who had played his first, refereed his first ever Liverpool game? And it was comparatively uninteresting. And we made comparatively small mention of him. And that's surely what a referee situation should be, not the centre of attention. But as we go through the details of the match, we are going to hear more and more about Mr. Mike Oliver because he's front and centre with a lot of the stuff. And Dave, let's start you and I with the opening part of the game, which this may well seem um, a a big chunk to take. And we'll see if we need to interrupt it. But I kind of half think we might go up as far as the goal because there's so many other things we wanted to talk about apart from the match details. Um, in the first half, as you mentioned, we had to endure a little bit of them with their tails up and being very front foot. On four minutes, there was a through ball that split us wide open and a shot dragged badly across the face of goal. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, my doorbell rang just as that was happening. So I saw one replay of it. I couldn't even make out who that was. Who had that shot? Do you remember? Is either of you guys remember who had that early shot for them? Ivan Tony. The one that dragged across the front of goal? Yeah, on the fourth minute. Yeah, was that Tony? Okay, right. There was a decent move by them on five minutes, um, which needed a Virgil van Dijk intervention and clearance. On six minutes, we have our first moment where Darwin places a ball across the face of goal from the right-hand side to no avail. Nobody's there. A great drive and dribble by Connor Bradley on nine minutes. Fantastic stuff by the kid. And a really clever, improvised shot with the outside of his foot at full pace was saved at full stretch um, by their keeper. And Jota's follow-up was save too but I think a flag had gone up against Jota anyway so I don't think his shot would have counted um, Darwin I thought looked so bright in these opening minutes and continued to do so literally buzzing around the place everywhere looking for the ball our out ball at all times and that thing that we spoke about on the last podcast Dave you and I about how he retains possession uh, so well for us Um it's 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 a, a delight to have this kid in the team. And on 12 minutes, Jota actually heads a Robo cross over the top, and in doing so, takes it off Ibu Kanate's head, who's waiting to bury it theoretically. Uh, and then we had, and maybe this is where we'll pause, Dave. The mutual holding. Um, this new uh, little bit of language that we were told mm. uh, from the VAR boys uh, as Jota is wrestled uh, in the box. Now, we saw last week, maybe even last game, my memory for these things is not super. We saw Diogo Jota be very clever and hook an arm and a leg around someone and drag him to the ground in a way that made it look as if he was being fouled. And it would have fooled some people and certainly would have fooled the linesman from the wrong side and perhaps a referee from the wrong angle. And who knows what happens then with VAR because they're so fucking mental. They may give it or they may not give it. This, again, was uh, there was a shit amount of replays on this. So I can't tell you with any great confidence my opinion on it. I'm hoping you will have some sort of a definitive take. Talk to us about VAR and mutual holding. Yeah, the mutual holding is is quite an interesting little rule uh, that doesn't really seem to have any defined uh, order in in this situation here it looks to me like Diogo Jota is being molested and is trying to push his way clear and very clearly he's not the aggressor in this situation um we see it again a couple of minutes later where he's doing everything he can to stay away from the same defender 
who is once again attempting to wrestle him to the ground. And in the second situation, Jota manages to sort of free himself. The defender flings himself to the ground and got a free kick. This first one, though, like, it's always difficult with these because I I thought it looked like a penalty. That was my view of it when I saw it. I thought it was a penalty. I thought very clearly Jota was trying to push himself away and get a little bit of space because why wouldn't he want a little bit of space in the air, in the six-yard box when we have a set piece? So for me, that one looked a foul, but I suppose if you're a Brentford fan, you're probably looking at it in the other other way and thinking, well, Jota's doing as much pushing and pulling as the defender is, but... Again, Jota is the attacking player here. He wants to score the goal. He doesn't want to take a player out of the game. He wants to be free. I, I thought it was a strange one. Um, but but again, the rule is so ambiguous. It doesn't really give us any any clarity on, on what, what constitutes a foul and what doesn't. No, it doesn't. And Harry, I want to give you a chance to come in on this concept as well, because... Uh, I think you mentioned earlier on that you thought there was a, a, a penalty that should have been given for Liverpool. I'm wondering if this is it. And what do you make of the very romantic sounding handle of mutual holding? Yeah, it's a hug, isn't it? That's that's generally a mutual embrace. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what um, necessarily sort of what the point is of that as a rule it does seem incredibly subjective and we're trying to take as much of the subjective out of the game as possible when it comes to making decisions like penalties and things like that it just seems like another vague term that can be used to provide a little bit more flexibility to referees when making decisions because it gives them you know the uh the room to not make a decision so, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> think if, I, that's... if I can just briefly interject, just as an update from Ian Doyle, okay. uh, C- Curtis Jones boarded the Liverpool coach on crutches with his left mm. foot in a protective boot. That doesn't sound great. Mm-hmm. Diogo Jota also on crutches with his left knee in a brace. Doesn't sound great. But Darwin Nunes walked through unaided and didn't appear to be limping. So that is positive. So hopefully Darwin is okay, but doesn't sound great on the other two. Yikes. No, it doesn't sound great on the other two. Um, you know what? I've been distracted by something myself here, and I just want to bring it up with both of you before we barge on with details of the match. Um, there was a huge amount of talk on TNT who were previously BT Sport, or at least that's how it appears to me. It's mostly the same people involved. Um, and... They were talking incessantly before the game, at halftime and after the game, about how Klopp says he doesn't like these half-12 kickoffs, but he's not doing too badly in them, lol. Maybe he should thank us, lol. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is this tone about? And does anyone have a brain, like one single brain cell there amongst all of you imbeciles? Do they not understand the point that Klopp has made? It's not about a half-12 kickoff. It's about a half-12 kickoff in context of other fixtures. It's just mm. such a daft, stupid, stupid way to behave. And and it's so, so deliberately, Harry, deliberately disingenuous in a way that, do you know what's, I think, most dispiriting about it for me is that there are so many mouth breathers out there who will just go, oh, yeah, good point. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think uh, unfortunately you, you only have to look at sort of the kind of like football content that gets loads of engagement online, right? And there's a, football dailies and, and variations of that where it's people uh, on panels with a couple other people on panels um, saying the daftest stuff they can think of. Or I think I occasionally see a clip of someone saying like, oh, I wouldn't have most salary in my life. And, you know, that kind of stuff where it's, oh, okay, we're just going to say the most stupid thing we can uh, because it will get lots of people chortling and go yeah yeah give it to them uh which is quite quite a strange thing to see especially when you're thinking about actual professional coverage of a game by a broadcaster i think we've we've been used to it for a while i think with obviously with bt sports beforehand i don't think tnt is a good coverage at the moment either unfortunately i think the 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 level of analysis isn't great yes you can you can have a little bit of banter here and there with with the with the game but it's yeah deliberately trying to be antagonistic about it um they're scratching their heads as well about lots of injuries this season trev what could it be uh plenty of reasons <laughs> like why why maybe some of these uh, injuries are happening to players who are playing more than ever uh with games you know closely packed together i'm not saying it's all down to early kickoffs but it doesn't doesn't help certainly and uh yeah, it's just unfortunately it does seem to be the way in which it's going where um, there's lots and lots of uh, you know, winking and antagonistic comments, but actually re- very little in the way of stepping back for a little bit and going, hmm, maybe, maybe he has a point here because we know, of course, there's a vested interest in in that timing being what it is so yeah i mean joe cole uh, as the as the as the pundit that they they were going to for an extra bit of analysis from the touchline i think really set the uh, the tone for me yeah well if joe cole's setting any tones you know you've got your um appointments completely wrong that's just a simple fact of life the guy is a, a sort of sentient teabag if we're being perfectly honest i i've i've no idea how fellas like that get a job uh, I, I just don't but anyway here we are and and the slow decline into idiocracy in general and we are back in the match after some romantic mutual holding um, from var we have two more opportunities and this is kind of the period of the game where it could have threatened to slightly get away from us on 14 minutes Mope plays a through ball to Tony he pulls his shot across the face of goal from left to right and then on 19 minutes another opportunity arises for Tony where he's in on goal versus Ibu Kanate and Kanate does enough to hold off the big man and you know, limit the power of his shot, I guess. Uh, his shot from right to left, it back across goal, is saved by Queeving quite comfortably. Um, on 20 minutes, Jota has a very vicious half volley tipped over. Not sure it was going to go in or hit the bar, but it was about that height. Uh, a great run by that kid again on 27 minutes. Um, and as he's running through on goal, the ball kind of breaks for Luis Diaz, who really should, I think, pull the trigger, if I'm being perfectly honest. Norgard has an effort, an effort for them on 29 minutes after a decent move, and he pulls his shot wide as well. It seemed to be something they were afflicted with today. And on the 33-minute mark, we bring on Gravenberg for Curtis, who goes down injured. Within two minutes of that, we are a goal up. And that's where I'm going to go to you, Dave, just to talk about the goal and that little period where we had to sort of dig in. Then there was the injury to Curtis. Gravenberg comes on, and within two minutes, it is Darwin who's put us one up. Basically, if we're being perfectly honest, Virgil just launches the ball forward. It bounces, he hits it. Um, Jota 
does remarkably here. And it, all through this opening period, his ball winning was superb. In recent games, his ball winning is superb. He's constantly buzzing around like a kind of a, a Ian Rush on steroids at times. He's absolutely brilliant at this. Mm. Um uh, it, it, at that that part of the game, but this in particular, um, there was a lot of ooing and eyeing from the pundits on TNT about it, especially Big Crouchy in terms of the header. But listen, this is absolutely fantastic. He's got to keep his back kind of half turned to the ball and watch the ball at the same time and hold the defender off and still wins the header, gets a decisive touch of the ball with an unusual sort of an angle back into the path of the on-rushing Darwin Nunes. All of us, Dave, at this point are thinking, <laughs> Darwin has time, it seems. And isn't that the thing? If Darwin has time, this probably won't end well. My God, it ends so well. The keeper advances and he lofts the ball over him. It's absolutely fucking glorious, if we're being perfectly honest, in terms of the execution of it. The assist, I think, is in the world-class category because it's entirely deliberate. Um, and we find ourselves one up whether it's deserved or not you can comment on hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on eplindex.com the podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we, we'd sort of been not not hanging on, but we'd had to we'd had to absorb some pressure. We'd had to write our luck a little bit with a, you know some questionable finishing uh, from some of the Brentford lads. But this is, I mean, like you said, this is outrageous from Jota to keep track of that ball for that long in the air while maintaining your pace to get ahead of that defender. And then it's a lovely cushioned, directed header into the path of Darwin. And it's absolutely outrageous from Nunes. Like, that is that is ridiculous. I, I don't even know where that comes into your mind that what you're going to do from there is love the keeper. Because... It's not like there's a huge amount of distance between you and the keep- keeper. And it's not like you're 25 yards out and the keeper stood in the penalty spot. He's quite close in. That technique is sensational. Most people are trying to knock it past him into one of the corners. And Darwin does the unexpected, which is when Darwin is at his best. It's just, it's brilliant. And it's a beautiful agricultural goal as well, which I'm a big fan of. And we got two of them. Oh, actually, we yeah. got three agricultural goals really in this game. Which well, in terms of the, the beginning of it, is that what you mean? Like with the big punt forward? Well, this one's a big punt forward. The the Salah goal is a big punt forward from Quivin. And yeah. the, the fourth goal is a kind of hooked punt forward 
from Joe Gomez that Nathan Collins makes a mess of and the ball works to Quivin or to, to Cody and he scores. So like three lovely Tony Pulis-esque goals, giving Brentford, <laughs> to be fair, a taste of their own medicine because yeah. it's been those type of goals that they've scored against us in the last couple of years. But this finish, like, this finish is incredible. This is not one that you hang in a museum. This is one that you build a fucking museum, an art gallery, a library, and all other manner of cultural outlets for. And you build it around this. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, First of all, to even think about it. Like, what was mad was, Darwin was tweeting an hour before the game. <laughs> Darwin sent the tweet to, to Alexis McAllister an hour before the game. Our fans are in meltdown. He's not focused on the game. <laughs> Lads, it's Darwin Nunes. Let the boy be. That, that finishes... It's utterly world-class. If anyone mm. else did that, we would be seeing it on an endless loop for years to come. Like, if that's Cristiano or... Ed, imagine if Eden Hazard scored that goal. You'd never hear the end of it. If mm. if Martinelli or Saka scored that goal, you'd never hear the end of it. Darwin does it. We all kind of just go, yeah, Fair enough. <laughs> what else would you expect? It's what else would you expect? Sensation. Yeah. Well, I look forward to visiting the Darwin Nunes uh, wing of the uh, said uh, artistic institute and maybe having a Darwin Nunes sandwich in the uh, in the cafeteria area beforehand because I agree with you entirely. It's worthy of great, great um, uh, adulation. Like I say, so sad when you think about what happens with Jota later on, because within a minute of that, uh, sorry, within about six or seven minutes of that, he's gone off injured. Uh, We bring on Mo on 43 minutes and everybody's kind of wincing, thinking, shit, there was a reason why Mo didn't start. Is this is this going to be too much? Um, do we really need Mo taking the field in this situation? But clearly our man uh, Diogo is in a bad way as he goes off in the stretcher. And that's 43 minutes, 44. Uh, immediately after that, Regulon nearly kills Connor Bradley's ankle and Klopp, like you said, Harry is absolutely beside himself. I've never seen such, um, such a pained, angst-ridden expe- expression on anyone's face. And my God, you can relate to it. Uh, on 45 minutes, Mo plays in Darwin and Luis Diaz can't get to Darwin's uh, flick. Uh, eight minutes were added for the two um, injuries. And there is an attempt by us on 47 where Luis Diaz launches a break. Uh, his ball in takes a deflection off Darwin, which actually stops Mo Salah from taking the ball in his stride as he thinks it's coming to him. And it appears to be a good opportunity wasted. It's only when you see the deflection. Uh, I didn't notice the, the, the deflection on the initial one. I just thought, how come he hasn't got his feet right on that? But there was a deflection which sort of altered the flight of the ball on its way to him. Um, but Mo's pretty much within a couple of minutes of being on the field front and centre. And that was a little bit of a sign of what was to come. Harry, just if we stop here at halftime for a sec, I want you to pick out maybe one person you want to talk about because there are lots of candidates that we could talk about here. Um, We could talk about another comparatively solid showing from Calher, but perhaps that will be more appropriate later on when he makes a couple of good saves. Um, We could talk about 
either of our two lads who um, went off injured, both of whom had very bright performances, particularly Jota. We could talk about Darwin Nunes. I don't know if you want to talk about Andy Robertson and whether or not you thought that this now makes perfect sense that Andy Robertson is an automatic starter uh, when Joe Gomez has been so good. I, I don't know if you want to go positive, negative, but I want to give you a chance to pick something out of that first half that you want to talk about. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I'd, I'll definitely want to mention Endo in the second half, so I'll I'll wait till then. But I think mm. given we don't see don't see any more of him after half time, uh, well, two of them obviously Jota Nunez, um, actually it's in three really, but with with Jones. But uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll I'll focus on Darwin just because I thought similar to you, really really bright. Uh, we know about the, what he brings to the game from a physical perspective and always a willing runner. Uh, but yeah, we've seen his game get more and more rounded as the season has gone on. Uh, and you, you hear the stat after that ball goes into the back of the net. Was it 13 goals now, 11 assists from this uh, this huge flop, uh, clearly. And I, I think that you're, you're really seeing him finding his feet and... Uh, dovetailing well with whoever's up there with him to be honest with you, I, I think he you can see the I, I know a lot was made of the chaos agent stuff that I used to talk about as well at the start of the um, his time at the club but um, it's it's still valid in terms of sort of the effect he has on defenders even when Perhaps uh, he he doesn't have the ball. Uh, he's a, a real, real menace. Um, yes, the finish was was gorgeous. He, that's exactly what you want to see when he has the time and space to to be one v one with the goalkeeper. Calm, composed, a little bit of the audacious in there as well, just to make a uh, just to give his own personal flair to flair to it as well. But I thought some of the uh, combinations with others in the front three as well, and actually McAllister when he got up there to support were. Were really good. He was unlucky actually with a couple that didn't come off with a couple of back heels and flicks here and there. Um, I just generally thought he was really bright. And I saw somebody, I think it was Rupert Fryer actually on uh, on on Twitter describing comparing him to somebody who I've had fun comparing him to, even though he's different player in many ways but uh comparing his start certainly to this player just because it seems to wind up uh chelsea fans and that's again it's an, uh, another fun thing to 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 do when you've got spare time and it was comparing him to, to <laughs> drogba um in, in, in terms of you remember drogba's start to life in the premier league very different player of course much later in his career when he obviously finally made that made that jump but I remember a time when Drogba was a figure of fun. People were, you know, uh, mocking him a little bit for some of the finishing, some of the the, the rawness to to his game, and yeah, we, we know what he became. But actually, you look at the stats of what Drogba did in the Premier League, and there are a couple seasons in there that really, really very high quality, and we know from first hand experience with Carragher as well how hard Liverpool found it to deal with with him. And I'm not comparing the players too much, but the trajectory. Is, is one that I've been thinking of for a while in terms of a player coming in, being derided by a lot of different fan bases, but there being just too much talent there to like not overcome some of those uh, you know initial struggles or initial sort of uh, bumpinesses when it came to sort of adapting to the Premier League. So uh, yeah, hopefully it's a similar trajectory, if not a higher ceiling for for Darwin. But uh, I just thought another really encouraging performance, and I hope he's hope he's fine. I hope he's tweeting. 
in a in a matter of uh, minutes, Trevino. Follow me. <laughs> exactly. I must I must say I didn't have you down as a as a, a little devilish internet troll, but I, I'm enjoying this concept of you winding up Chelsea fans on the on the sly in your leisure time. Uh, Dave, let's you and I look at the kind of first chunk of the second half, which will actually include two goals. Uh, quite a bit goes on. We see that substitution of Cody Gakpo for Darwin Nunes, who Harry has spoken so eloquently about there now, um, which we have all got our fingers crossed about the whole story about it being a precautionary thing and the good news that we've heard about him walking to the bus and so on. But we begin with a really great break uh, by the Reds uh, movement down the left-hand side. Luis Diaz plays in a pretty dodgy final ball to Cody Gakpo on 48 minutes. 49 Diaz is front and centre again. This time he beats two men and fires over the top as he cuts in. On 50, there's a ball over the top that gets Mo away. His finish 1v1 with the keeper is uh, dinked inexplicably wide of the near post with his left foot. You know, we've seen him do it a million times where he just uh, puts it back across to the far side of the of the, of the the goal. And it did look, it was such a uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically bad finish by Mo that it looked as if it had been saved, to be perfectly honest. Um, another great break on 52. This time Cody's ball into Mo Salah isn't too great either. Um, we are very much front foot and on 54 minutes, McAllister has put us 2-0 up. There's an endo header uh, to Gravenberg who plays it on to Mo and his through ball to McAllister as he's running through centrally is a decent pass. Mac takes a good touch and it's a nice poked home finish. Brilliant. Great goal. Exactly the kind of thing we want to see. Um, immediately after that, Mo Pay poked one over the top, but he was offside, so it doesn't count as a chance. And 59, Connor drifts in centrally, gets in the ball, advances, hits a great shot narrowly over the top for his second attempt of the game, pulling him into kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, you know, attempted ch- uh, chances uh, t- territory for this match. On 62, they bring on a trio, um, Wissa, uh, Lewis Potter and Anyeka come on for Rorslev, Norgard and Mopay, I think. Uh, and on 66 minutes, we play a brilliant one-touch move of stuff that ends with a Luis Diaz shot saved. We're absolutely on top, dominating the game at this stage. Endo picks up a yellow, as he tends to do, on 67 minutes and possibly could have had another one later on. So maybe a rare moment of... Um, Michael Oliver indulgence will take um, on 67 though we go 3-0 up and it is effectively game over at that point this is where you were talking about earlier on the agricultural route Quivian Keller with just a kick out up the field um, I think it's Gravenberg who challenges for it um, and it drops and only Mo Salah is alive to the drop he gets in on it their whole defence is asleep he drives on centrally and he goes sort of he's moving sort of drift right to left and holds off Iyer in the way that only probably Mo Salah can do. The guy's pound for pound the strongest. I used to think it was Sadio Mane, but it is Mo, the strongest forward I think that we've seen in the league for the last five or ten years. He holds off the big grok uh, and shoots back across the goal from left to right into the bottom corner. It's a classic Mo Salah goal. But it takes a lot. It, there's not many humans who can do that, what he does there, um, to hold off the defender, to execute the finish, to drive a goal with the urgency he had, to have the awareness to uh, hop on that um, ball in the first place. Hugely enjoyable and very much our best part of the match, that part you're going to talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, at, at this point in the game, we are playing some fantastic football and we're opening them up. We're creating really good chances. We're getting into dangerous positions. And Mo is really humming in this stage of the game as well. Like, this doesn't look like a fella that hasn't kicked a ball in a month, that hasn't played for us since since New Year's Day. He He's just, he is so, so good at this game. Like, it's almost unfair how much better than most of the players he is. The assist for Alexis is outrageous. And this goal is just, I mean, this is just him wanting it more than the Brentford defenders. And he does brilliantly. I mean, credit to... Credit to Cody for the flick on. It's it's the, the perfect agricultural goal. It's a long, straight punt by Queeving. Kelleher plays his size, or um, Gakbo plays his size, gets up, wins the flick on, and it's it's brilliant for Mo. But just to go back on the Alexis goal quickly, it, speaking of playing their size, massive credit here to Ryan Gravenberg. Because when Endo heads it back into kind of central area, um, Gravenberg does brilliantly. Uses his size, his strength. Seems to remember that he's 6'3". I wonder when he was going on, Klopp had kind of grabbed him and had a word with him and it seemed quite serious. And I wonder, was it, just remember to use your size and strength here. You're bigger and stronger than most of these lads. Don't be pushed off the ball. And he does brilliantly on that goal. So we get two goals here in 13 minutes that effectively kills the game. And both of them are, are really well worked from our point of view. The, the, the technical side of the, the, of the, the Alexis goal, but the simplicity of the Mo goal is just something I love. I'd love to see us go a bit more direct more often because we have lads that can win flick ons and we have pace to get in behind. And you see it all in those two goals. You're very pleasing, actually, that you bring that up about uh, I give Gravenberg uh, credit for the flick on for the third goal. But that was Cody, you reckon. So uh, an occasion where both of our Dutch lads who we've been saying we'd like to see use their physicality more actually did. And it led to a goal on both occasions. That's tremendous. Uh, Harry, you and I'll take the match to the end. Um, Then I'll go to Dave for his final thoughts and we'll finish with you. So from 71 minutes is where we're going to take it, Harry, now. And they uh, start with they start with a, a yellow for Onyeka uh, on Endo. Now it's just before this, and we'll just we'll talk about this very briefly. I'll give you give you a chance to talk about this one little incident. Uh, there's a ball into the box and to me it looks as if Robbo's pretty clumsy the way he comes through the back of Ivan Tony. It's kind of torso on torso stuff but you wouldn't be surprised in the way that things have gone for us if that had been given as a penalty Uh, and honestly the way things worked out they were back a goal they were a goal back within a couple of minutes anyway so uh, you know the penalty whether it had been given or not I don't know if it would have made a massive difference to the game but it it felt a little bit like Robbo might have got away with one there and it broke. And then initially the commentators, um, Fletch and um, his little pal were saying that they thought it was Endo who was picking up the yellow, but it was Enyeka for the foul on him. What did you make of that little incident anyway? And uh, am I being overly kind uh, in terms of saying that they might have had a shout there? 
No, I think you've seen it given maybe on on other days. Uh, I think um, I mean, the way in which the way in which it was waved away and reviewed and quickly dismissed. Um, yeah, I'm happy to go with that. I'm happy to go with that when it benefits us, to be honest. But I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it seemed a bit clumsy. It felt quite forceful. The strikers clearly looking for it for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see it go away. So got a little bit lucky. But of course, as you mentioned, very soon after that, Tony does get the goal and. I felt I felt gutted for Kelleher. I thought Keller had a good, had a good game, and you know, depending on how serious this Allison uh, hamstring issue is, hopefully not too much, but uh, or, or or too bad, because of course we know the quality he has. But we've all spoken about Kelleher and the, the importance of rhythm for goalkeepers, just to get back to the level that sort of top level that we saw um, that he had a couple seasons ago, and. Another cup final approaching. It could be another day for heroics in the Carabao for, from him. So I was gutted that he actually ended up losing that clean sheet. I thought he made an excellent save uh, when it comes to the shot from Reguilon. Perhaps just needed to push it a little bit further wide um, to, to to make it a bit tougher for, for Tony. But unfortunately, it falls straight to the last person you want it to fall to when it comes to, to Brentford. Very calm finish there from, from him. So... Yeah, at that stage you're you're wondering, do they have it in them to actually produce a a unsettling finish to the game? But I thought that you saw that what they've seen throughout the season, they're just not able to sustain it, and we had the the quality to reassert ourselves in the game and finish it pretty soon after. Well, you've done a good job of describing the goal as we can yeah. see it there. Just just before that, we we saw them bring on Damsgaard uh, mm. on 73 and on 74. The goal, as you described it, it I think it was Visse who broke down the right, it gets across, forces the shot, uh, the crossover, and Regulon has a good dig. Now, that, sh- that save is instinctive stuff. And mm-hmm. I think, to be honest, he'll have Ali in his ear and everybody else in his ear and tell them what a wonderful save that was. Of course. You know, I think I think that will count as an overall positive, to be honest with you. I agree with you that the, the clean sheet would have been far preferable. But as you say, the big lad is looming there and he finishes it. It's a it's a it's a tap in effectively for a lad like him. Um, but straight afterwards, we have another moment that we have to pause on here because it's Luis Diaz. Mm. To me, looks like he's taken out completely by Collins. I would have said it was a penalty. There is undeniable contact on Luis mm. Diaz. He doesn't touch the ball. Therefore, is that not a penalty? It's, you know, I, I don't understand. It's a clear penalty. It's it, a clear it, penalty. Like, how can it be anything else? You now, know, I, is- I think the Robbo one on Tony is a blatant penalty as well, personally. Mm-hmm. I really do. Robbo just jumps into him, makes, doesn't make any real attempt to get the ball, just kind of jumps into Tony. Tony doesn't help himself by flailing over so so easily. Yeah. I thought that was a feature of Ivan Tony's game today. He did throw himself to the ground a lot. Like there was the Bradley one in the first half as well, where Bradley brushes the back of his calf with his studs. There's no there's no force there, and yet Tony is down receiving treatment. And I do look forward to all the Arsenal and Chelsea nonsense putting up the still shot of that and going, how is this not a red card and all that garbage? But I did think the the Robbo one was a penalty. But this is Stonewall. This is so blatantly, obviously, a penalty. But here's what's happened here. Michael Oliver will not overturn his decision. And I guarantee you the VAR is just going with the decision Michael Oliver has made on all of these decisions. If Michael Oliver had given penalties for either of those, there's no way they get overturned. When VAR first came out, there was reporting by a number of well-placed journalists 
that certain senior referees were basically going up to junior referees on VAR and, and having a go at them for making them look bad by overturning decisions. And I would bet that Michael Oliver was one of those who didn't like to be shown up, didn't like to have his decision questioned. And I would bet that if you look at the numbers across games that Michael Oliver referees, there's probably far less VAR interventions than there is for other referees. There'll be a couple like Oliver, some of the other senior referees. Uh, Paul Tierney will certainly be one. Um, Madly, I'd say, will be another. Those lads will not want their authority questioned, their decision-making questioned. And I guarantee if that's any other referee, VAR tells them you need to go and have a look at this Diaz one. And probably, and the Robertson one as well. But the Diaz one is so blatant. Like, it's such a blatant foul. He takes his foot from under him. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And when you see, you can't review. Yeah, it, it, it's the, the the quickness of the review is where it becomes comic. Uh, that's that's where where you realise that yeah, that theory that you have there is right. See, you can't be ruining Michael Oliver's Holly Bob's with um, moments of introspection about whether he got a decision right or not. He's trying to eat a sandwich with a knife and fork and dream about using Old Faithful later on. You can't be telling me that we can be upsetting Michael in such a way. And Harry, I want you I want you to have your take on this as well. I mean, t- like Dave's pretty adamant. And, you know, you and I are, are seeing the end of this game through here. So let's yeah. restart with yourself. And are you as adamant about it? Like the, the, the commentary team, Fletch and and, and, and and Pal, were saying, you know, uh, not for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, weirdly, when I first saw it, maybe it was the commentary uh, and the angle that I saw, it, I was like, oh, I actually, I did... Um uh, it's it was either a penalty or it's a dive, and then I saw one angle and I thought, oh, there was no contact, and, I, and then I, I I tweeted that that oh yeah, I understood the non-decision. Then immediately see a slow motion replay from the other angle where you can see the the defender make contact. Uh, Diaz is at such a velocity as you know, it's a clear, yeah, you know, he's clearly um, impeding him. So 
uh, I would have thought that's what VAR is for, uh, or one of the examples of what VAR is for going, missed it in the moment. That can happen to anybody. Have a little look at this. And, oh, actually, yeah, from this angle that we can see, because we've got all the cameras supposedly, uh, there is clear contact. He's running full pelt at him. Yeah, he would go down. That's a penalty. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the more I saw it, the more uh, sort of resolute I got that it probably was a penalty in the moment. I got carried away, unfortunately, I got carried away with Jenis and Fletch and uh, Cole and, <laughs> and waving it away. So I mean, you could tell exposure for too long, Trevor, can be, can be yeah. damaging. It's debilitating for sure. And immediately uh, afterwards, we bring on uh, Joe Gomez and, and, and Harvey Elliott for uh, Connor Bradley and Mac. Um, they bring on Godos for Regulon on 84 minutes. And I, I guarantee you he wishes he'd stayed where he was because on 85, it's 4-1 to us. It's Cody Gakpo. This is calamity stuff from them, Harry. Um, and the the last one who's involved in the calamity is, I think, Godos, who's, who's just come on. On the field it's a ball sort of eked across by Luis Diaz as we broke um there was an earlier uh, uh, mistake in the in the build-up for them yeah. as well uh and it, he really <laughs> it's it's going at snail's pace he should intercept it he doesn't it comes to Cody who manages to take it on and finishes quite emphatically now we'll take it Harry but that's that's clown car stuff from them Absolutely, yeah. You'll you'll take every single one of those, make it look more emphatic, uh, enrage more people who are watching it on, like hoping for a slip up, of course. And uh, yeah, God, awesome. It's, it's one of those situations where you think, uh, in a well, in a crueler world, this is one of the situations where the manager make uh, gestures the substitution sign again and subs the sub for having brought him on. And the first thing he does is to make an error like that for. And weirdly, I have to say, maybe it's just me being harsh to be honest, but I was weirdly um not super confident that Cody was going to slot that from there and, and then when you watch the other angle and you go oh no he's absolutely never going to miss this <laughs> it's, it's a clear it's a clear sighting goal he just calmly places it into the net uh, and then when they announced his goal record of yeah he's into double digits now for the season quietly got on up there as well I think at times he struggled this season but uh you know he's still still finding a way to contribute and even if it is stat padding in garbage time you know where, where a team's made a horrible mistake uh we'll take every single one of them yes we will and it's at that time then that you can start to hear the Jurgen song coming out, um, mm. Liverpool top of the league coming out. We'll take that. Seven minutes are added. Harvey actually is a free kick that's well saved. Endo may have gotten away with a second yellow <laughs> one on Yeka on 90 minutes. I think he did uh, on 91 minutes as well. A, a, a great save by Cuevin Kelleher from Tony Point Blank um, with a kind of shoulder header. It's another brilliant instinctive save by Quivine and you know you we talked about how he might come back into the reckoning for a mention so maybe you, you want to do it here or in your, your wrap up um, 95 great run down the left and a pull back by Luis Diaz but there was nobody there he did great work to be fair just nobody there for him to pull it back to and then on the 96th minute right up to the death as usual Liverpool we're knocking on the door and Virgil's head, heading a robo corner off the bar. So in terms of mm. summing up that last chunk of the second half, and remember, we will be coming back to you to finish show your, your final thoughts. Anyone you want to pick out or anything you want to pick out? 
Yeah, I thought again, just a, a strong finish to the game. Could, could have easily been a, a bigger scoreline with that Virgil header, a couple of chances that we had. And Endo, yeah, Endo walking away from a, a tackle where he could have got booked uh, sort of calmly, uh, sort of readjust, <laughs> readjusting the gum shield. Uh, I, I think it's, yeah, sort of summed up some of his performance. I thought he was. Um, yeah, I thought it was excellent in terms of doing the the dirty work that you need um, at times um, and being composed in the right moments, sort of recognizing when, yeah, not that we were up against it, but you know, recognizing when you're losing players to injury, it can be unsettling um, when the crowd gets up a little bit, you know, understanding when to be a bit measured. But I also thought you, know, you could see making making some positive runs forward carrying the ball, bringing, bringing others into play, not slowing it down too much either. I thought he kept the tempo quite nicely. I'm not sure how many interceptions he made on the day, but I'm sure it was pretty uh, pretty good. I think he finished the game at 87%. Well, like passing accuracy was pretty good as well for him. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's come back from that tournament, looked a bit tired in the last game, I thought was understandable. So with all these players missing i think it's you know it's uh, we've discussed him this season it's taken him time to find his feet but i think he's a very useful cog in that midfield when we're um when we're dealing with these kind of games and helped us see it out so yeah i i thought he deserved special mention as did McAllister. i thought grew into the game really well um saw him more perhaps in some of his natural positions more attacking minded at times with the goal and with a couple other runs as well so you know, it, him, uh, Mac, and uh, Grav, I mean, I'll probably leave for my wrap-up, but um, yeah, a calm finish to the game. Yeah, in the past, could have been maybe a, a, an awkward finish with them grabbing that goal not too long before before the end, but I thought we really sort of showed our class and composure, keeping them at arm's length, uh, knowing when to pass the ball around. And yeah, just uh, great to hear that song uh, being bellowed out by the, by the Travelling Cop. We'll take it for sure. It's a, it was a lovely clinical way to end the game and not give them a sniff of any sort of hope whatsoever. And Dave, let's finish with your final thoughts on the match. Anyone you want to pick out, any ideas you want to pick out? We've gone through quite a lot, to be fair. I think there's nothing we left really, I think, on the table. But anyone you want to zone in on or any idea you want to put forward and do finish as usual with your plugs, please. Um, couple of lads to highlight. I, th- I thought Queeveen was excellent today. Um, two incredible saves. The the save just seconds before the Tony goal is outstanding, but the one later on um, from the from header, Tony's shoulder, yeah. Oh, yeah. that is an outrageous save. Like he his body weight's gone one way. He's gone back, clawed it out from behind the line. It's fantastic, absolutely fantastic save. What I really liked was. You could see the anguish in him when the goal went in. Like, he was furious that his clean sheet was gone. It really meant something to him. That's a really positive sign. I thought his kicking was really good, uh, particularly off his weaker left foot. Um, He looks so comfortable receiving the ball with on-rushing attackers. Always seems to have that little bit of time and space. This This is the Queeving Kelleher that we got used to a couple of years ago. And... He's obviously gotten to play a decent amount this year because Ali's had a couple of injuries and obviously we're doing well in so many different trophies. But th- this is really positive seeing Kelleher play like this uh, from an Irish point of view as well, because, you know, the national team does matter to us, however bad they may be. Still a bit of pride there. Um, but all all over the pitch, I thought we got really strong performances. I thought Ibu and Virgil, given how aggressive we were playing, 
and the fact that they were being left 2v2 a lot were very, very good. Robbo played well in the first half. Second half, I thought defensively he was a little bit lacking, uh, particularly on on their goal. I think that largely comes from a Robbo error where he's just too aggressive. Um, Bradley was was excellent again. You just love to see it for the kid, especially after what he's what he's just been through. The the three starting midfielders were all were all good. Um, Endo obviously just so combative. Alexis is just such a great connector. Like he he is vital to us in his ability to link the defense and the midfield when especially when Trent isn't there, and then link the midfield to the attack. Jones before he went off, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Uh, there was one touch he had where the ball dropped and he just managed to oh, kind yeah. of tuck it on the outside of his foot and swiveled into space. Mm. Then he had that brilliant little defensive intervention he had as well, where he got back, saw off Ivan Tony, turned one way, turned the other, and then showed great composure to retain the ball, wait for the right pass to present itself and play the right ball. Just really, really good. And massive credit to Gravenberg because We've hammered him on this podcast multiple times, and he's deserved it each time. Today, I thought he was really good. Um, the work rate was there. The pressing seemed more purposeful. He used his physique quite well. He linked the play quite well. He played a couple of lovely little passes. There was one lovely little disguised ball that he played into Mo for that Diaz chance that you mentioned earlier. So credit to him. and then. I mean, the front three that started, Jota was absolutely outstanding. Like, just brilliant. The the dribble he had, where he just used his strength to see off two players. He has this incredible ability to dribble with the ball, where he kind of keeps it between his feet. The ball never seems to... It's it's almost like it's on a string. It never seems to go more than a half foot from his feet. And, And he's moving at full pace. Really, really good. And you just have to hope that that injury isn't serious. Diaz looks a lot more like Diaz. Early on, he was a bit frustrating. He wouldn't take on the centre-back who was stepping out to mark him. Second half, he just looked far more full of confidence, was going at players, was doing all the Luis Diaz things. Darwin got a brilliant goal. And again, we'll we'll have to hope that that's nothing serious. Salah, Salah is, along with Thierry Henry, the greatest attacker the Premier League has seen. He's just different class. Scores one, makes one. Should have had another when he got through 1v1 after what was arguably the best pass of the game by Virgil with his head. Like, most centre-backs step out to head that ball and just head it away as far as they can. Virgil sees Mo and plays the perfect pass with his head. That yeah, most, like, we, we've had midfielders who couldn't play that ball with their feet. And he's done it with his head. Um, Cody, I was delighted to see him get the goal and get an assist because the first few moments he had in the game weren't great. Mo put him in at one point. He made the wrong decision. He had the one where he ran onto a ball from Diaz and slipped. And you were just thinking, oh, it's going to be one of these days for Cody. But got himself an assist, got a goal. All things considered, to come out of Brentford with a 4-1 win, put a bit of a marker down give ourselves, you know, the comfortable advantage. Now, Arsenal are winning 3-0, so, you know, they're, they're going to be two points behind us. But they they remain behind us. 
and they've got a harder run of games um, in the lead into the end of the season than we do. So all of this is positive. All of this is positive. The one thing we just have to hope for is that those injuries are nothing too serious. For sure. Uh, do, for the sake of it, outline the multiple podcasts that you'll be putting forward. So Daily Red and Two-Footed, I think I'm every day this week. I think I'm every day this week. There will be um, most likely a couple of scouteds because we've got Luton and then the cup finals will be two of them. I think myself and Dave Davis are going to get together with um, and do another couple of next dance pods, looking at a couple more managerial candidates. And myself and yourself will be getting together to do a couple of buzz podcasts, including a part two of um, of the greatest movie ever made, which people will have to wait and find out what movie that is when part one drops in the next day or two. And obviously we'll be doing the last um, the last episode of True Detective, which will be our second to last podcast in the True Detective series that we're doing. So lots and lots to come. And uh, she, you never know, there might be there might be something else as well during the week if something crops up. If something crops up, you can be sure there'll be something else because oh, there'll be raw as well, obviously for Luke. There'll, there'll be midweek raw as well. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we do around here. So you, you can be rest assured, folks. If anything is happening, you'll be kept abreast of it. Even if it's just a sad news injury pod, these are the things that we do around here. Harry, to finish the show with yourself, then yeah. your wrap up thoughts and do let people know about what's coming from you too. Yeah, just just reiterating on the uh, on the performances. I thought there were to echo Dave. Loads of really encouraging performances um, from players that we're going to need um, over the next uh, couple of weeks, many months as well. Given how long some of these players may be out, unfortunately. But Grav, who I spoke about at the start of the pod, thought you know, grasped his opportunity. I mean, he's coming in there for a player that is an automatic first name on the team sheet in Jones, who. Yeah, we spoke about his performance, some of the touches, some of the composure in difficult moments. Um, he's been just essential to us, really. He, he is in Liverpool's best team at the moment on on the form that he's he's shown for, for a long time now. So he yeah, had, had big shoes to fill when he came on. Uh, and we've seen him struggle in games. So I thought that yeah, he, he put himself about. The physicality that he showed in the game was great. Um, neat and tidy on the ball. A um, bit more tenacious than I've seen as well in terms of him trying to win the ball back and not just accepting that he wasn't going to win it if he didn't get it on the first go. So really encouraging performance for him, I think. And, you know, he needs to be being told now that you know, this is the level you need to maintain it if you want to be taking, a part, taking part in the next couple of games. Yes, there's a space up for grabs, but you need to show that that level of performance. So I thought it was really great for him. And just, just uh, I, think, I think we talked, talked about the centre-backs and I think Virgil warrants a mention now. I think it's the all-time most wins in the first 250 appearances for, for Liverpool. Virgil is now at the top. It's 250 appearances for for Liverpool and 171 wins in those 251 game, uh, in 250 games. So, wow. yeah, for those who, yes, he may or may not have the dribbled pass trophy uh, anymore, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure he'll be gutted, gutted about. That has, uh, I think, Salibas or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think it's clear for all to see that he's uh, an outstanding player and just the, the impact he's had on, on this side is, is clear. And from one outstanding player to another who's had a, a transformational sort of impact on on this Liverpool side. We're talking about him. Dave mentioned Thierry Henry there. Salah's now scored or assisted in 30 
different Premier League games. Uh, the names ahead of him, uh, Wayne Rooney on 36, Thierry Henry on 32, Alan Shearer on 31. I think I'll probably eat all of those up by the time yeah. he's done. So uh, it's uh, soon soon going to become only Mo Salah, another one of those stats to, <laughs> yeah. to, his, uh, to his book. Uh, but for him, it's it's remarkable, right? He's been, been away the longest injury absence that we've experienced with him. You, you didn't, didn't really know what to expect other than the fact that you knew he'd you know, be in peak physical condition and, and be doing everything possible to get back. But I think size highlighted it. Dave mentioned it as well, but 34 touches, 21 of 21 passes. So hundred didn't lose the ball. Yeah. Sensational. Uh, a, a goal assist, a big chance created, probably should have scored another one. Uh, successful dribbles all over there as well. Won the ball back more than he lost it. He's just he's just an incredible player, and in my opinion, he's the best player in the league. So, yeah, as, as dispiriting as those injuries may have been, uh, hopefully for the rest of the league, it was uh, incre- incredibly dispiriting to see Mo Salah come back uh, and announce his, uh, his return in that fashion. A lot was made of De Bruyne's return and the impact he had, and so hopefully it'll be a similar sort of uh, shiver down the spine when it comes to, to Salah's return. Anyway, so... Wrapping it up for me, uh, just that there'll, there'll be another rivalry con ahead of of the Luton game, and there'll be another one for uh, game against Nottingham Forest as well. I'm actually up for the Luton game, taking a couple of my taking my parents up to that game. So hopefully that's a, a fun one before the cup on the weekend. So yeah, a couple of pods there from me, um, and uh, yeah, and, um, up the Reds. Can I just <laughs> give a couple of quick stats as well here? Because yeah, some of these are quite interesting. So these are these are from Michael Reed on Twitter. Mm. Cody Gakpo is the fourth player to score 10-plus goals for Liverpool this season after Salah with 19, Jota with 14 and Nunes with 13 in Liverpool's 38th game. It's the earliest into a season Liverpool have had 10 players, sorry, four players on 10 goals or more since the 80-81 season where uh, Terry McDermott, Graeme Souness, um, Doug Leach and Johnson all scored 10 plus within 31 games. Now, Sunes scored a hat trick against some Finnish team. So, you know, stat padding in the European competitions is something we can all get on board with. But just on the Virgil one, the 171 wins in 250 games. Now, Trev, we're both old enough and Harry's wise enough to realize that the golden era of Liverpool <laughs> was like, is, is the Bob Paisley era into Joe Fagan and then into the, into the Kenny era. That That is Liverpool's golden era of football, right? All-time most wins in the first 250 appearances for Liverpool. Van Dijk, 171. Trent, 168. Alisson, 164. Sadio Mane, 163. Andy Robertson, 163. Mohamed Salah, 162. That is the sixth, the, the top six in our history are part of this team. Then you've got Alan Kennedy on 160, Steve McMahon on 155, and Ian Rush on 153. Like, that's how good these players have been for this long. And you've got Ginny Wijnaldum there bringing up the 10 spot, 151 wins. And he played 237 games. So you'd imagine Ginny would have gotten probably over Alan Kennedy and would probably be sitting alongside Mo in that kind of region. 13 games, you probably factor he'd have won nine or 10 of them. Um, considering the season we had in 21, 22, he probably would have won nine or 10 of them. So he'd be in seven. So the seven players with the most wins for Liverpool 
in the first 250 games, all under Jurgen. Like that, that is just incredible to think about how good these players have been and, and how important they've been. But it also points to people always say Jurgen works miracles at Liverpool, and, and he has done an incredible job. Nobody would ever suggest otherwise. But he is leaving behind world class players who know how to win a lot of football games. He's leaving Virgil, he's leaving Mo, he's leaving Allison, he's leaving Trent. Those lads are going to be there for the next manager. And that's why we should enjoy the shit out of what we have left with Jurgen. But we should also be really excited about what the future holds. Because this is not a team or a club in need of a major rebuild. This is Jurgen Klopp leaving behind, as Bill Shankly did, a club-ready to go to the next level, to continue to improve, to ascend, to win even more. And that will be Jürgen's real legacy. Not what he does while he's here, but what he leaves behind. And that's Bill Shankly's legacy at the club. It's what he built. It's the same with Jürgen. His real legacy will be what he's built here. What a man. Yeah, and hopefully that um, legacy has a couple more highlights, which we will document here on Raw for you, because that would be very much how we all want this season to end. If you missed it, I am back um, on my bullshit with Mr. Jan Malby. That went out on Thursday. We did AIP on Friday with Cam and with Lisa Marie. And we will have, as Dave says, another two buzz podcasts, which is the ratio that we're doing now for the last four weeks Uh, in the week to come, along with more Mr. Mulby and all sorts of other things. If you're not listening to Harry's shows, you're not listening to Dave's shows, then you're making a mistake with your life. So make sure that you change that. And the content across the channel in general is always wonderful. So. Give yourself the opportunity of exposing yourself to some new stuff from Anfield Index, Anfield Index Pro, if you haven't already. I've been Trev Denny. That was Dave Hendrick, Harry Sethi, Guy Drinkles producing. This is Raw. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.